passage we're going to look at today is actually found in the book of Deuteronomy. So most of this series, we've been journeying through the book of Exodus. The last two weeks, we've been in Numbers, and we're going to end here. The very last chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, the last of the five books of Moses. So you can see the passage printed in your bulletin we're going to look at, verses um, chapter 34, all of that, verses 1 through 12. And uh, if you're sad about that, if you're um, already thinking, man, I'm going to miss Moses, don't worry. Uh, Our next series, we're going to be talking about the Ten Commandments for the rest of the summer. So we're not going to go straight too far from Moses, uh, but we're really excited about that. And so we'll jump in to that next week and that'll carry us through the summer. But like I said this morning, we're gonna close out this series here by looking at uh, this passage that recounts his death. And so um, let's look at this together. Deuteronomy 34, starting in verse one, I'll read it and then pray and we'll, we'll dive in. So hear now God's word. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land Gilead, as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is, the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, this is the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom For Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, for all the mighty and all the powerful and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning as people who are in great need, Uh, people in need of healing physically, people in need of uh, guidance, protection, provision, encouragement, comfort, um, forgiveness. All these things and so much more. Uh, Lord, I think specifically about um, Allie Dyer and the Dyer family. Um, Lord, we pray. We, we thank you for this new drug that she's going to get. We pray that it would come quickly and that as she takes it, it would heal her. Lord, that you'd use it to restore her to full health, to take away her cancer. And Lord, For all the other ways that we are specifically in need here as a body, as a family, uh, we ask that you would meet us where we are and give us what we need. And we ask that even now as we look at this passage, as we continue to be in your presence in worship this morning, that um, you would would meet us and that you would provide for us uh, what our our heart um, needs. And so uh, be with us now. Open our 
minds and hearts as we look at this passage, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as many of you probably know, the renowned pastor, preacher, and author Tim Keller passed away a couple of weeks ago on Friday, May 19th at the age of 72. And if you don't know who Tim Keller is, that probably means you haven't been here that long because we talk about Tim Keller and reference him all the time. But if you don't, he was a prolific author, brilliant preacher, and Christian thinker who served as a pastor in our denomination for many years, most notably planting and leading Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City from 1989 to 2017. And of course, his death sparked all kinds of conversations about him and his legacy, all he's meant to our generation as a leader in articles, social media posts, podcasts. We've been talking about him a lot in our office uh, the last few weeks and the impact he's had on us through his many great books and sermons. But what's been most impactful to me through all this have been the comments made by people who knew him personally. Not just people like me who felt like I know him because I've read so many of his books and listened to so many of his sermons, but people who really knew him because they've spoken just as much, if not more, about who he was. So about his character, about his person, than about what he did, his gifts and accomplishments, though they were and are many. For example, in her article in the New York Times this week, Tish Harrison Warren wrote about how Keller emailed her out of the blue six years ago when she had published a controversial piece and was getting hammered for it online. And she says this in her article that she wrote last Sunday. It says, quote, he, Tim Keller, he wrote simply to encourage me, to tell me to keep my chin up and keep writing. It meant the world to me. After that, Tim became a chief source of cheerleading and guidance in my life a protective older brother or father figure, a life coach and a spiritual sage combined. Over the past few years, any time I was piled on after a controversial piece, my phone would ring and it would be Tim just checking in. He wanted to hear how I was feeling to encourage me and then to discuss ideas and theology. And one of my favorites, the hip hop artist Lecrae also shared. And first on social media, when news of Keller's declining health came out, he posted this, which I loved. He said, true story, I've only been starstruck by Michael Jordan, Jay-Z, and Tim Keller, which made me like Lecrae so much more. But then a few days later, after Keller's death, he went on to post about how when he began to speak out about racism and injustice he had experienced around 2017 and was, was getting hammered by a lot of people, sadly, within the evangelical world, Keller was one of the people who was there for him who reached out to him, who was a safe person for him to talk to, and, and who, was, who was there. And there were so many great stories like this that I read, ways Keller influenced people, not just with his great teaching and intellect, but through his person, the character of who he was. And of course, he wasn't perfect. I'm sure he would be the first to tell you that, but he ran the race God gave him, and he did it well all the way to the end. And now I bring that up not just to honor Tim Keller, though I do, I do want to do that, but because it's always inspiring when someone makes it to the end and finishes well. It inspires you to think about your own life and the legacy you're creating. In a world that tells us it's all about accomplishing and accumulating, it's helpful to break you out of that mindset and get you thinking about what it is that truly matters and how you want to live your life. I know Keller's death over the last few weeks has got me thinking about that a lot. 
And today, as we wrap up our sermon series on the life of Moses, we get to do the same thing as we look at his death here in Deuteronomy 34, the death of this towering figure. And as we think about his legacy, the legacy he left behind, and and though, of course, we don't have all the articles and posts about him, we do have this passage that, as brief as, as it is, actually tells us a lot about his legacy and about ours as well. And so we're going to look at this together by asking three questions. First, what is Moses' legacy? Second, where did it come from? And then third, how can we get it? So what is it? Where did it come from? And how can we get it? First question, what is Moses' legacy? Now, that's a big question. There's a lot to it. But this passage gives us one word, really one category we can use to summarize what his legacy is. And it's not his skills or successes, his accomplishments or accumulations. It's who he was. And we find it in verse 5 where we read this. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. So the servant of the Lord. Now, a lot of other people in the Bible are also called servants of God, but no one as much as Moses. One commentator I read said he counted 39 different times Moses is referred to as God's servant, and that's not insignificant. And what does it tell us? It tells us as much as Moses saw and did as a leader of the nation of Israel, according to the Bible, this is most how he's to be remembered. Not for what he did, but for who he was as a servant of God. And this passage shows us at least three aspects, three key ways this showed up in his life and what it looked like for him to be a servant of the Lord. And so let's walk through these briefly. First, it shows us that as a servant of God, Moses surrendered to God's plans for his life. He surrendered to God's plans for his life. And you see this in the first part of the text. As God takes Moses up the mountain and shows him the promised land in verses 1 through 4. And he probably literally can't see all of it. But God takes him up and shows him, here it is. Here's the land I've been promising to your people for so many generations. Going back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this had to be an emotional moment for Moses. Like here it is. After all this time, all this waiting, all this wandering, we're finally here. But then look what God tells him in verse 4. As he's shown him all this, he says to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. Remember, after he disobeyed, got angry, yelled at the people, and hit the rock last week like we saw in Numbers 20, God told Moses he and Aaron weren't going to be able to go anymore into the land with the people. And that hasn't changed. And Deuteronomy 3 actually tells us that Moses pleaded with God that he would be able to go in with the people. But God said no, and he told him not to bring it up again. And of course, this would have been disappointing for Moses, but what does he do? As God's servant, he accepts it. He surrenders to God's plan for his life. And so when he does invite him up to the top like this, he doesn't complain, he doesn't say no, but he goes He doesn't get to experience all he wanted, but he gets a taste. He gets a first fruit. And so he rejoices that knowing that even if he's not going to make it in like he wanted to, God is going to bring the people in like he said he would. He's going to keep doing his thing according to his plan. And because he's God, that's good. And it's amazing that he got to be 
a part of it. So first, this shows us that as a servant of the Lord, Moses surrendered to God's plans for his life. And then second, it shows us as a servant of God, Moses also looked beyond himself and invested in others. He looked beyond himself and invested in others. And part of this final section of the book of Deuteronomy is setting up what's going to happen next for the people. So Moses dies, so what's going to happen next? In verse 9, Let's us in, in on it. It says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. So as the servant of the Lord, Moses wasn't about building his brand. He was about God. He was about God's glory, God's mission. And so he didn't try to hoard power and control for himself, but he sp- spent a significant amount of time in his life investing in those who were behind them, so him, so he could, they could continue God's work once he was gone. And surely this took a lot of humility. He could have easily stayed focused on himself and his prestigious position and not invested in anyone, but if he did, then like so often happens with us, once he was gone, everything would have fallen apart, right? It all would have collapsed, but as a servant, Moses wasn't about that, and so he spent a lot of time with Joshua over the years. He was his assistant for a long time. And so when Moses' time was up, Joshua was ready to step into his role as God's servant. And then finally, our passage shows us that as a servant of God, Moses was committed above all to doing the will of God. He was committed above everything else to do the will of God. And this one sort of covers everything about him as a servant. And you can see it at the end of our passage, verses 11 and 12, that remind us of all Moses did for the people to bring them out of Egypt. It tells us that there was none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. And it's important to remember as you read this how much Moses did not want to do so many of these things. It's been a while, but do you remember how resistant he was at the beginning? Even telling God, I don't want to do that. Would you please send somebody else? But he did it anyway. He was far from perfect, but throughout his life, he consistently chose to do what God wanted him to do, even if it was hard. And even if he, even it was something he didn't want to do at all. So Moses, just, just taking this little snapshot here, he's got a beautiful legacy. It's as good of a legacy as you can find. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5, says, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. This is a man who led a nation of 3 million people for 40 years, and he had all kinds of accomplishments. But God wants us to remember most about him, not what he did, but who he was as a servant. So that then brings us to our second question. That's what his legacy is, but where did it come from? What gave Moses the power and ability to leave behind a legacy like this? Because as much as you and I may aspire to something like this, it's not the sort of legacy we naturally go after. As I said earlier, we live in a world that tells us accomplish and accumulation, that money, power, and respect are are what we need to go after. And so we do. David Brooks from the New York Times, he talks about the difference from resume virtues and eulogy virtues. And you may have heard of this before, 
But he says that resume virtues are the skills we bring to our jobs and our social circles. They're the virtues focused on being outwardly successful in the world. But eulogy virtues, on the other hand, are the things you'd want people to say about you at your funeral or the kinds of things you'd want people to write about you after you die, like this passage that we're looking at with Moses. And he says in this article where he introduced this in 2015, quote, that we all know that the eulogy virtues are more important than the resume ones. But our culture and our educational systems spend more time teaching the skills and strategies you need for career success than the qualities you need to radiate that sort of inner light that he was talking about earlier in the article. Many of us are clearer on how to build an external career than on how to build inner character. But if you live for external achievement, years pass and the deepest parts of you go unexplored and unstructured. You lack a moral vocabulary. It is easy to slip into a self-satisfied moral mediocrity. You grade yourself on a forgiving curve. You figure, as long as you are not obviously hurting anybody and people seem to like you, you must be okay. But you live with an unconscious boredom, separated from the deepest meaning of life and the highest moral joys. Gradually, a humiliating gap opens between your actual self and your desired self, between you and those incandescent souls you sometimes meet. He nails it. You and I, deep down, we want this. We want to want this, but through the influence of the world we live in, our own sinful flesh within us and the devil, this is not what we pursue. It's never what we pursue. And Moses was, was no different Please don't forget how much Moses was just like us. Please don't forget how much he failed. Don't forget his biblical debut as an adult came by him murdering somebody and then running away, hiding in the desert for 40 years. So where did this come from? It didn't come from Moses, something so great within him. Well, then where did it come from? Verse 10 tells us, it says this, and there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. There it is. That's the key to all of Moses' life and his legacy as a faithful servant of God. The Lord knew him face to face. And what does that mean? It means that Moses had an intimate relationship with God. It means he knew God. God knew him. He had a close relationship with him. Think about this. How often throughout our study have we read about Moses being alone with God, talking with God, listening to God? Two different times, he spent 40 days alone with God. Exodus 33:11 tells us, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And sometimes this meant Moses wrestling with God being honest with him, sharing his fears and frustrations, his doubts and disappointments. Other times it looked like him rejoicing, even, even singing to him. Regardless, this is what drove everything in his life. It wasn't Moses' inherent desire to be faithful to God. It was his deep relationship with this God who was so faithful to him. It wasn't Moses making a commitment to be known as a servant at the end of his life. It was his experience of God's love and service of him that made him into one. 
That's where this came from. That's where it always comes from. Going back to Tim Keller again, when he was interviewed by Mike Cosper on a bonus episode of the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill last summer, which was a podcast all about uh, the fall of this church, Mars Hill, and and in bigger picture, just about Christian leaders and, and churches and people in general, Christians in general falling. He asked Keller, he said, you've made it to the end. So I think people would like to hear you speak to this. What would you say is, is the secret, the key to your longevity and longevity, the longevity of others? And he began to answer by talking a little about community and the importance of having men and women in your life who know you and who can encourage you, who can be honest with you, who can call you on things when it's needed. But then he ends by saying, here's what the real key is. All that's important, but here's the real key. Communion with God. Not just Bible study, not just prayer, not just Christian and church activities, but communion with God. Real and true intimacy with God. That's, how, that's where this all came from for Moses. It's how any of this was possible for a man like him. And if you and I are gonna build a legacy for ourselves that goes beyond the, the South Charlotte American dream, it's the only way it's gonna be possible for us too. We have to experience this. We have to have this kind of relationship with God. And so then finally, and most importantly, our last question, how can we get it? How can we get this? Because maybe, maybe you're, you'd say, Aaron, well, this is Moses. We've talked about throughout this series how he's this, this great biblical figure, like this is him. How can I have this? When Moses was unique in his day, verse 10 tells us that at the time of the writing, this writing, that there had not been a prophet since like him, someone who had this kind of face-to-face relationship with God. But if you go back to Deuteronomy 18, Moses tells his friends and us, there's actually gonna be someone else who comes another prophet who's going to come one day. Deuteronomy 18, 15 tells us, Moses says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And generations and generations later, this other prophet would come. But he was much more than a mere prophet. He was God's own son. Jesus Christ, and his mission was also fueled by his face-to-face relationship with God. If you have an eye for it, if you're paying attention to it when you're reading through the Gospels, Jesus is constantly leaving groups of people, leaving exciting ministry to go spend time with his Father alone. And just like Moses, this is what fueled Jesus to live his life of service to God and others, but in a much greater way. Because where Moses came to lead an exodus for the people of Israel out of their bondage and slavery to Egypt, Jesus came to lead us out of our bondage and slavery to sin. And in fact, the next time Moses shows up in the scriptures, he's with this other prophet. He's with Jesus high up on another mountain, actually talking about this exodus, this greater exodus that Jesus was going to bring. Luke 9 tells us, Starting in verse 28, now eight days after saying these sayings, he, Jesus, took with him Peter and John and James and went, went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered 
and his clothing became dazzlingly white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. And the word there in the original Greek is the word exodus, his exodus, which was about to accomplish, he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And how did this greater exodus happen? Moses led his through the great signs and wonders from God. Our passage talks about at the end of it, but Jesus led his through the greatest sign and wonder from God there's ever been, the cross, where Jesus Christ, the one who had always and only known the face of God, lost it. Where though he was the beloved son, the father, though he was that, the father turned his face away from him. And what was the point? So that you and me could have it. When Jesus took on the penalty of my sins and your sins, he lost all the intimacy and communion with his father he'd always known. That's why on the cross he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? Why have you abandoned me? But as excruciating as this was for him, Jesus did it with the joy of knowing he could bring you and me back into this, back into this communion, back into this face-to-face relationship with God that our hearts and our souls are longing for And we don't just get God's face looking at us. Because of what Jesus has done, when we trust him, we get his very spirit living within us. And so when we trust Jesus, what St. John of the Cross said so many years ago is true of us. He said this, he said, God dwells within you. You are yourself the tabernacle, his secret hiding place. Rejoice, exult, for all you could possibly desire. All your heart's longing is so close, so intimate as to be within you. You cannot be without him. See, guys, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ didn't come, live, die, and rise again so that you and I can play church so that we can play Christianity where, where, while really our main focus is having our best life now here on earth. But Jesus came and lived and died and rose again so that we can have this communion, intimacy, this, this face-to-face relationship with the living God in spite of our sins, in spite of our failures, in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our story, And a relationship like this is the only way you can live differently. It's the only way you can can walk another path. The only way who you are can become more important to you than what you do. It's the only thing that can pull us off this treadmill we get stuck on. And I know it is for me. I mean, I I can get so fired up thinking about this. Like, yes, the eulogy virtues, like that's what I want to be about. But in real life, left to myself, I never choose that. I always choose the resume stuff. I always choose the ladder climbing and accomplishment stuff. And Jesus has been showing me lately, like I've got to have this. I've got to taste this. I've got to abide in him. I've got to be with him. I've got to be loved by him. I've got to be served by him, forgiven by him, strengthened by him, led by him. I've got to know him face to face and realize there's nothing out there better for me. Keller says in that podcast, that the communion he's talking about is a communion you you sometimes experience, he says, quote, with God and his love 
and Christ in his grace and the Holy Spirit in his comfort that makes you say, that's the thing. And I cannot live without that. That's what Moses had. And it's what you and I can have too. In and through Jesus Christ, the, the better Moses, the one he points us to. And so as we're winding down, let me, let me just ask you this. How do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? Do you want to be remembered for all you accomplished? For what you do, for all the beautiful things you had in this life? Or do you want to be remembered for who you are? For the beautiful person you are as you pour out your life in service to God and the people around you. If you don't win the first one, that's okay. What you do and, and what you have, those aren't bad things. There's value there, it's important, but I would lovingly warn you that God, along with thousands and thousands of years of human experience would tell you there's nothing there in the end. But if it's the second one you want, here's the way forward. You don't have to leave here today and to go try to commit to doing a bunch of crazy things. You don't have to go try to be anything or anyone special. You just have to open yourself up to the God who wants to commune with you face to face and let him do his thing. Let him transform you. And at the end of your life, you may not be famous. You may not have books written about you. You may not even be remembered for that long. But you can be known as a man or a woman who served the Lord. Like Moses, you can become a servant who surrenders to God's plans for your life, who looks past yourself and invests in others around you and who most of all is committing to doing God's will as you play out your little part in his great story. And as great as Moses was, as big and as important of a figure as he is, at the end of the day, that's his legacy. And you know, it's the greatest one you and me can leave behind too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the way you use it to uh, both convict and challenge us and the way you use it to comfort us and to invite us into this communion we're talking about. And so would you do that today by the power of your spirit for me and my friends? Would you help us to see um, and believe the good news of the gospel a little bit more? Lord, that we may be people who one day at the end of our lives are known as simply those who served you. And we thank you for the God that you are, the way you pursue and serve us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, on this note of communion with God, we're now gonna practice this by taking uh, the Lord's Supper together, what we call communion. This meal that reminds us of just how much God wants to commune with us. Because it reminds us Jesus gave his body so we could eat it in the bread. That he shed his blood so that we could drink it in the wine or the grape juice. That reminds us that he lost the face of God so that we could lift up our faces and come to this table where he invites us to be with him together. From the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Every time you eat of it, do this 
in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And so if you're here today, here's the qualification to come to this table. Do you need Jesus? Do you need him? Do you trust him? Do you want this kind of face-to-face relationship with the living God that you could never earn or produce or achieve on your own? If that's you, this table's for you. I would invite you to come, lift up your face, see God, what he's done for you, and take it in. But if you're here and that's not quite where you are today, that's okay. We love that this is a place you can come and listen and learn what it looks like to follow Jesus and what this whole Christianity thing is, is really about according to God. Um, but don't fake it. That, that's not, you're actually being counterproductive if you do that. And so I would encourage you, instead of doing that, stay in your seat and continue to wrestle. Continue to think, maybe even pray and ask God to show you what's true. And you can, if you'd like some guidance doing that, we've got some prayers that are printed on the back of your bullets and you can use. Uh, but if you're here and, like I said, you know you need Jesus, if you, you want to come and commune with him together uh, here with our family, then we would invite you to come and do that. It's our practice to come and receive the elements from the officers up front, take them back to your seat, and then I'll come once we've all gotten them and lead us taking of them together. The outer rings are going to be grape juice, the inner rings real wine, and if you're looking for a gluten-free option, you'll see some package, some packages in, this, in the bowl with the bread, so you can grab one of those. Um, so let me pray if the officers will come forward. Father, thanks again for this morning and uh, this time now to uh, commune with you. Um, Lord, we ask that you'd send your Holy Spirit, set these elements apart from their ordinary to their holy use, and uh, would use this time to build up our faith in you, to give us eyes to see how much you love us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.